All right, grab your Bible this morning, open to Jonah chapter 4. We're going to finish out the book of Jonah uh, as we get started. Uh, raise your hand with me if you have ever been really mad at God. Yeah, probably most of us in the room, huh? I think most of us have gotten mad at God before. And if we really uh, tell the truth about why, it's probably because he didn't do what we wanted him to do, Right? Now, this is exactly how Jonah felt almost the entire story. This is why he's mad. This is why he's angry. This is why he runs. This is why he ends up in Nineveh. This is why he's going to get mad in chapter 4. This is really the crux of where Jonah is. This is the way he feels. We're going to see his anger in the story this morning. This is exactly how Jonah felt, and many times we feel the same way. The story of Jonah teaches us an important life lesson, though, that is the opposite of our anger. The story of Jonah teaches us that it's not about you. Could you turn to your neighbor and just tell him, it's not about you. Let's just get started in the right direction this morning. It's not about you. And you can't say, then it's about me. That's not the point either. It's not, it's not about you. It's about me. That, that's not what we're saying. It's not about you. Job figured this out too. In Job chapter 12, verse 10, Job said, for the life of every living thing is in his hand and the breath of every human being. Now this lesson is huge. And either you learn it during your lifetime or you don't. And that's really the difference because we find purpose, value, identity when we live the way our creator has called us to when we obey him. And he's told us, it's not about you. And not only did he tell us that, he modeled that for us. He left heaven, he came to earth, and he told us, I'm dying for you. It's not about me, it's about you. And so that's the model of our Savior as well. And life is not about our personal desires. It's about serving others in Jesus' name. And Jonah, not himself, teaches us as well, but the story of Jonah encourages that. In fact, there are some really great things that we're going to discover in chapter 4, some good questions I'd like us to ask this morning that we often ask throughout our lifetime. So let's take a, a, just some time this morning and make our way through Jonah chapter 4. But if we're going to start in Jonah chapter 4, we really have to start in chapter 3, verse 10, because that sets up Jonah uh, chapter 4, verse 1. So go back to chapter 3, verse 10, and let's remind ourselves what has happened in the story. Um, Jonah has run from God. God told him to go talk to the people in Nineveh about, about their evil. Jonah says no. He runs from God. He ends up on a boat heading to Tarshish. He gets thrown overboard. A giant fish eats him. And um, he gets vomited up on the land. And he obeys God. And he goes to Nineveh. And he tells them they're all going to be destroyed in 40 days. And they decide to repent and say sorry to God and sorry to each other. And so God forgives them. And Jonah gets mad. That's the story. In chapter 3, verse 10, it says this. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So here's my first question. Have you ever gotten mad at God? 
Have you ever gotten mad at God? Now, Jonah does something here that we often do too. He gets mad at God because he didn't do what Jonah wanted him to do. Now, what did Jonah want God to do? Destroy the city. That's how hard his heart was. He literally wanted God to destroy all the Ninevites. Now, last week, we talked about how Jonah had changed his heart. He decided to obey God instead of disobey, and that was a great decision. But here in verse one, we discover that while Jonah changed his heart to obey God, he did not change his heart about how he felt about the Ninevites. He said yes to God, but he's still saying no to the Ninevites. Like, I love God, but I still hate the Ninevites. I'll say yes to God as long as it doesn't require me to love the Ninevites. I'm fine with that. He still wanted to destroy them. Now, Jonah is mad that God has changed his mind and decided not to kill all the Ninevites. Now, what is the real reason Jonah is angry? Because God is not doing what he wants him to do. See, Jonah had a plan, and God is not fitting into his plan very nicely. Has that ever happened to you? God's not fitting into your plan very nicely? In Proverbs 16, 4, it says, The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. And in Proverbs 19, 21, he said, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. See, Proverbs reminds us we all have plans, but in the end, God's plans are way better than ours. Now, Jonah forgot an important lesson. It's not about you. Have you forgotten that it's not about you? Have you ever gotten mad at God because he wasn't doing what you thought he should be doing? Well, we all have. And sometimes we get really mad at God because the thing we want God to do seems like the right thing to do, but he's not doing it. And so we get angry. We think he should heal. He should save He should provide. He should destroy that evil. He should do what I think he should do. Now, the challenge with that, let's just try to put ourselves in God's shoes for a minute. There's about 7 billion people on the planet, and all of us think God should do something. What if that conflicts? That would be a challenge. Let me just give you an example in the room. In the room, there are multiple of us. We're all going to root for a team this Sunday, right? I'm going to pray that the Niners are going to win. But there's a whole bunch of people in Florida that are going to vote, that are going to pray that um, the Jacksonville wins. What does God do? What prayer should he answer? Are the people in Florida more righteous than the people in in San Francisco? Don't answer that. (laughs) Because the answer is no. But when the Niners play the Seahawks, who's, which prayer is God going to answer? See, that's the problem. There's two, there's two prayers being lifted. There's, there's one prayer, God, on, on Veterans Day, God, would you, would you protect America? And there's a billion people right now that are praying what? That we would be destroyed. Now, they believe in God a different way than us, but it's the same prayer. And here's the problem. What's God supposed to do? Well, that's where you and I have to do one of the hardest things we ever do in our life. Trust God. 
is just have to trust him. We have to trust that he knows best in every situation. And we have to trust that he knows what's best in our situation too. And even though it's really difficult to do, we have to do it because it's not about you. It's about him. Now, because Jonah was angry with God, verse two says he also complained to God. So look at verse two. Now, as we look at verse two, though, you got to read it. Like sometimes you got to read the Bible for what it says, right? You got to get into the Bible. You got to really, like, it's cool. You got to get into the Bible. So when you look at verse two, you've got to get into it because verse one says that Jonah is very angry. Okay. Not just angry, very angry. And he's complaining. So I don't know what you're like when you're very angry and you're complaining, but I think it would sound something like this. So Jonah would have sounded something like this. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate, God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn your back on destroying people. I knew that. That's why I'm so angry now. Now look at a couple takeaways from verse two. First of all, let's notice this. Did you notice that nowhere in the verse it says that a lightning bolt then struck Jonah dead? <laughs> right? Doesn't say that, does it? Now here's what's interesting. Here's what's a good takeaway for us. God isn't offended that you angrily complain. He's not offended. In fact, he's a pretty big boy. He can handle it. He's got thick skin and he can handle our complaining and he can, com he can handle our anger. Now, he doesn't like it. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't like it, but he can handle it. So if there are times where you take a walk in the woods and you yell at God, that's okay. He'll be okay with that. And you'll be okay too if you get your heart in the right place. See, God's not offended by our complaining and our anger. He's not happy about it. And he hopes that our heart will be in a different place than Jonah's was. And he's hoping that John Jonah's heart will get to a different place as well. And it's good to know that God doesn't crush us when we complain. The second thing that's interesting and a very, very interesting takeaway is something that we will see and be useful for the rest of the chapter. And that's Jonah's definition of God. And now it's kind of odd that Jonah would be angry that God is what? Merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love, and eager to turn your back on destroying people. Now, most of the time, these are not the five things that we would ever get angry at somebody about, are they? Unless you have a very hard heart. And unless you hate somebody very bad, and you want them to get what's coming to them. In that case, <laughs> you don't want somebody that's compassionate. You want somebody that will side with your anger and destroy them. But that's not what God wants to do. Now, here's what's interesting. God often gets a bad rap in the Old Testament about situations that happened in the Old Testament, doesn't he? Like we often hear people complain about who God is and I couldn't serve God because of what he did in the Old Testament. Now, it's interesting. Some of the things that God does and that he asks his people to do in the Old Testament uh, are misconstrued 
And sometimes people think God is mean and they can't understand why God would do this. But here's what we understand from Jonah's definition of God. What Jonah's definition of God tells us about God is extraordinary. It tells us that his actions that he did in the Old Testament are justified because God spent, and if you look at the timeline, oftentimes it's four to 500 years. God would spend four to 500 years doing nothing. In other words, God lets people, mankind, do whatever they want, become as evil as they want to, be as disrespectful as they want to, and God doesn't step in and do anything for hundreds of years. And then finally he steps in, but while he's waiting to not step in, it's because he's what? Slow to anger. He's hoping that at some point they'll choose to repent on their own, that they'll see the truth, that they'll see after generation after generation after generation of destruction and war and anger and hatred that they'll right the ship. But sometimes we don't, do we? And so eventually what we see in the Old Testament is God stepping in. Because for a long time, hundreds of years, he was slow to anger. But eventually God steps in and he acts outside of the norm of his mercy and compassion. And he gives an adult spanking. See, when we see God disciplining mankind, it means that he has exhausted a lot of his mercy and his compassion, his slowness to anger, his unfailing love, and his desire not to destroy. It means that mankind is in such a bad place that God must do something before it spreads. And when God doesn't do something, it means he's been merciful and compassionate. He's waiting. So Jonah's definition of God tells us something about the things we want God to do today. It tells us that God's desire is to be merciful and compassionate and filled with unfailing love. Can I encourage you, when you get mad at God, or if you're mad at God right now, fit Jonah's definition of God into your situation. Fit the definition that Jonah gives God into your moment that God is merciful and kind and compassionate and unfailing. And remind yourself as well, it's not about me. See, most of the time, changing our thoughts about God and not thinking about everything from our own perspective will change the situation entirely. Now, we wish Jonah had done that, but he didn't. <laughs> he didn't change his mind. He just continued to have a hard heart. Jonah continues to be angry with God. And his anger, as we'll see now in verse 3, leads him to an extremely dangerous place. His anger leads him to extreme mental instability. His anger leads to a place of total desperation, and he actually wants to give up on life. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry like this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city 
and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And the sun grew hot. God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. So three times here, Jonah has suicidal comments about a plant. What an emotional exaggerator he is. I think he needs to read Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Anybody else think, man, pick a book up or something, dude. Now, this may be the height of Jonah's selfishness. Here's what Jonah is saying. God, if you don't do what I want you to do, just kill me. Now, does God ever answer ultimatums like that? No, he never does. <laughs> he never does. Now, this brings up another good question that Jonah forgot. Should we submit to God or should God submit to us? How does that really work? Does God submit to us or do we submit to God? We better figure that out or a lot of life will be complicated. God asks a really good question to Jonah. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? Really? Think about it for a minute. Is it right for you to be angry like this? See, what God is really asking Jonah is, Jonah, do I submit to what you want or do you submit to me? How does this work? How's our relationship working? Now, if Jonah answers the question with the appropriate theological viewpoint that he should have, which is what? It's not about me. <laughs> and that you're God and I am not. That you're the creator and we are the created. That he is the potter and we are the clay. That he's the living God supreme over everything. If Jonah answers it like that, then like he should, then Jonah's got a problem. The problem is he's not right to tell God who created him and who is supreme over him, what he should and shouldn't do. It's not how it works. Especially when you are angry that he is being merciful and compassionate, which is the very definition that you gave him. Like, isn't this funny? This is just like a mental battle that makes me laugh. Because you have to ask, is it right to define your God as merciful and compassionate and then get mad at him for being... <coughs> Merciful and compassionate. Like, where is your head right now? Where are you? What are you doing? What are you thinking? Therein lies the problem. Jonah didn't want God to be merciful and compassionate. He knows who God is. That's the definition of his character. But he doesn't want God to be that right now. He wants God to be the destroyer. He wants him to wipe out the Ninevites. Jonah is mad that God is not doing what he wants him to. And God wants Jonah 
to learn to be merciful and compassionate. And Jonah continues to harden his heart. But here's what's great. God still doesn't give up on him. The next part of the story is God still trying to work with Jonah. He tries to help Jonah see life from God's perspective, not his. Tries to help Jonah see what is really important and what is not. God attempts to get Jonah's heart and mind focused on what God is doing, not what he wants. And he tries to help Jonah see what God sees instead of seeing what he selfishly desires. And God shows Jonah all of this with a plant. So he causes a plant to grow and give Jonah shade. And Jonah, it says, is happy about it. He's excited. He's like, ah, this is great. But then God causes it to wither away. And Jonah misses the lesson. God showed him mercy and compassion. And now he's changed his mind. And he takes the plan away. And Jonah gets really, really mad that God made another decision that he didn't like. Jonah misses God's compassion. Jonah misses that it's not about him. And he decides, if it can't be about me, I'd rather die. This is the height of selfishness. If it can't be about me, then I'd rather just stop living. Because if it can't be about me, then life is just going to stink. And when your purpose and your value and your identity is all inward instead of outward, that's exactly what you'll always think. That if this situation, if my life, if my pleasure is not based on me, then, then there's no reason to live. And I think that we see that happening globally right now. There's a mental battle happening right now on our globe, mental unhealth, and it's because we've removed God from our society and we've based all of our thinking inward on ourselves. And as we've based all of our thinking inward on ourselves and we don't get what we want, we're, we're starting to decide what? If I don't get what I want, I don't get the right job I want, I don't get the right person I want, I don't get the right relationship I want, I don't get the right car I want, everything, it, maybe life just isn't the way I want it to be. I'm just going to check out. So we see that mental instability happening in our society, just like it was happening with Jonah, because all Jonah could see was, I want life to be about me. And God says, it's not about you. And this takes us to verse 10. And verse 10 is the big lesson in the story of Jonah. Look at it with me. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the cute little animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry? For such a great city? My last two questions this morning get to the heart of the story of Jonah 
And the lesson that God was trying to teach Jonah and that it's the same lesson God is trying to teach us today with the story of Jonah. Now we get to the end of the story and we can see what? Jonah never learned the lesson. Let that not be true of us. Let us learn the lesson that Jonah didn't. The first question is this. What does God think is important? Now, God says something to Jonah that I think we all need to hear today as well. God says, Jonah, you're feeling sorry about the wrong things. You feel sorry about a plant, but 120,000 people that I created in my image and are living in spiritual darkness are not important to you at all. Do you ever feel sorry about the wrong things? I know I do. There are times I realize, why am I worried about this? Why am I thinking about this? Where'd this thought process come from? Why do I feel sorry about this little thing and I completely ignore that my neighbor doesn't know Jesus? How did I get there? See, this story reveals what God thinks is important and that is people that are living in spiritual darkness. Do you know anyone that's living in spiritual darkness? Here's what's interesting. God looks at those living in spiritual darkness with mercy, compassion. He's slow to get angry with them. He has unfailing love toward them, and he does not want to destroy them. This is why we're going to spend an entire month celebrating Jesus' birth. This is what Christmas is all about. We're celebrating that Jesus came to set us free when we were in spiritual darkness. And we're called to now help others see Jesus Christ and be free from their spiritual darkness. See, people that are living in spiritual darkness are the most important thing to God. Are they important to you? See, please don't miss one of the important lessons in the story of Jonah. God wants his kids to be merciful. But Jonah missed that. God wants his kids to be compassionate and slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and eager to turn our backs from destroying people. God wants us to think that the people living in spiritual darkness are very important and need the saving grace of Jesus. Which leads me to my final question this morning. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? Does your heart break for the things that God's heart breaks for? See, when Jesus was here on earth, he told three stories. They were all similar to the story of Jonah. They're almost like mirror stories of Jonah because when Jesus was here, the Pharisees had hard hearts, just like Jonah did. In Jesus' day, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the elitists had really hard hearts. And so Jesus told them three stories. 
in hopes that their hearts would begin to break for what breaks God's heart. These stories are all recorded in Luke chapter 15. Let me paraphrase them for us. And let me begin with verses one and two, just to give us context. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Sound familiar to the story of Jonah? (laughs) They're complaining that God is being what? Merciful and compassionate and slow to anger and filled with love. They're upset about that. And so God, Jesus tells them three stories. His first one was really simple. He said there was a farmer. He had a hundred sheep and he lost one of them. One of them was just, you know, a sheep like, well, like you and me. (laughs) It just wanted to wander away. And so the farmer went off and he found that sheep and he brought it back and he was so excited that he threw a party. And Jesus said, this is exactly what it's like when someone who is lost believes in Jesus. There's a party in heaven. And it reminds us that God has compassion for every single person. Now think about that with me for a minute. What if 99% of the United States was born again Christians? Like every Sunday morning, 99% of the population of the United States was in church. Now I gotta tell you, I would love that. That means NFL wouldn't be God. That means God would be God. But you know what Jesus would tell the 99 of us that we're all in church every single week? Go talk to the 1%. There's still somebody out there that's lost. And I really love them. Go find them. Which is the second story, the lost coin. In the lost coin, a lady has, she's lost a silver coin, which would have been a lot of money in that time. And she's lost it somewhere in her house. So she sweeps her entire house and she's looking for it everywhere. And obviously the coin is not hidden in plain sight. It's not laying right on the floor. She probably finds it in the dirt in the corner of her house, lost over there. And she gets excited. She's so excited. She invites her neighbors over and she has a party because she found her lost coin. Now this reminds us that God will look everywhere to find the lost. The deepest jungle and the deepest city doesn't matter to him. There's lost everywhere and he'll go everywhere and anywhere to find someone that needs him. The last one is longer and Jesus starts to push buttons a little harder. He said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger son wanted to venture out on his own and so he asked his dad if he could have his inheritance and his dad gave him his inheritance and the son moved to another country and spent all the money on wild living, parties and living in spiritual darkness. Meanwhile, the older brother was faithfully serving the father at home. 
The younger son eventually ran out of money and as a result of running out of money, he ran out of friends. He started working whatever dead-end jobs he could find and trying to make ends meet, but there was always more month and not enough money. And one day as he was working super hard in one of these dead-end jobs, getting nowhere, it dawned on him that his father's servants had life better than he did. And he thought to himself, I'm going to go home. I'm going to apologize to my God in heaven and to my father. And I'm going to ask him, dad, would you just let me be a servant in your house? Don't take me back as a son. I don't deserve that. I'm not worthy of that. Just let me be a servant. And so he headed home. Jesus said that the father saw the son far off and he ran to him. And he threw his arms around him and he hugged him. And he told the servants, get the tri-tip in the ribs out. We're going to barbecue. And he threw his ring on him. And he said, you're my son and you're coming back home as a son and I invite you back in as a son. And the son says, no, I, I gotta be a servant. I, I've messed up too bad, and, but I apologize to you. and I apologize to God, but I, I only deserve to be a servant. And the father says, no, you'll always be a son. So they started the barbecue and they decorated for a party and they started dancing and hugging and were happy that the son was home. The older son was coming in from the fields and heard all the partying, but he wouldn't come into the party. So one of the servants went to the father and said, hey, the older brother, he won't come into the party. So the father went out and he said, your brother's home. I'm so excited. He's back home and we're, we're partying and we're barbecuing because he's back and he's sorry and he's apologized and he wants to make life right again and he wants to be in relationship with the family again and we're all so excited. And the older brother said, what? Just what Jonah would say. I'm not. I'm not excited. You excited about your son that squandered all of your money with prostitutes? That's what you're excited about, dad? Jesus said the father pleaded with him. Please change your heart. Please understand that the most important thing is that the lost must be found. That my amazing grace must touch everyone, everywhere. You must understand that. And the brother, the brother older brother said, no, I refuse. The story of Jonah and the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son are to remind us what's most important in this lifetime. Not us, them. The most important thing in this world is not in this room right now. It's outside this room. It's not about you. 
It's about the lost. That's why we exist as a church. That's why our mission is to help people know Jesus and live for him daily. That's why Jesus called us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all the commands I have given you. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is the most important thing. So what should we do? First, our heart should break for the lost. We should pray for the lost. Look for ways to serve the lost. Share Jesus with those in spiritual darkness. Help people believe in Jesus as their Savior because it's the most important thing we will ever do. I'd like us to close this morning in a unique way. My hope is that this example and a moment of us getting up out of our seat and choosing to do something with our heart and with our mind and with our spirit will remind us to get our life and our heart and our mind on track with where God wants us to be and not be like Jonah ever in our lifetime. So we have a cross up here. And on the end seats in in the aisle, you'll see a stack of post-it notes. So those of you sitting on the end of an aisle, will you grab the post-it note in the pocket in the chair in front of you? Take one of the post-it notes off and pass them down. Yeah, on the on the front seat. On the in the front, it's right there under the seat. Yeah. So take one post-it note and pass it down. We'll sing 99 post-it notes on the wall later. Or just sorry. <laughs> And here's what I'd like us to do. Grab a pen. And we're going to sing this new song again about the blood and about our commitment to Jesus. And I'd like you to write down on that piece of paper the people that you know that need to know Jesus. That are living in spiritual darkness that are spiritually unresolved in their relationship with Jesus. And while we sing, would you just take a minute, write them down, pray a short prayer for them, and then come and put them on the cross. And we're doing this action for ourselves, but also for them, because we're making a commitment to these individuals as a church that this is what's important. That's what we're saying. We're saying the people on this cross, the the people that are gonna be up here on this cross, this is what's important. And we will spend our time and our energy and our resources as a people to help them believe in Jesus. Because it's the most important thing to God and it needs to become the most important thing to us. It's not about you. It's about the lost.
so I don't know how many people are here, but God would tell us. There's, there's 500 people here that I really love. Don't stop worrying about things that don't matter, like plants and football teams and soccer games. This is what matters. In fact, it's the only thing that matters. I don't know if you've seen that moment at the end of Schindler's List where he just gets all emotional as he's leaving before he gets caught. He says, I should have sold my ring. I, I could have saved a couple more. I should have sold my house. I should have sold everything. I could, I could have saved some more. I think for a moment, and it won't be very long because when we see Jesus, everything will just like vanish. But for a moment, we might think that. I should have sold everything. I should have given everything. I should have invited my neighbor over more often. I should have, I should have not walked through the grocery line so quickly and just loved on that gal for a sec. That's what I should have done. And I want to encourage us to be that on the West Plains. I believe that when a people 
who are committed to Christ and are committed to the lost will change their lives for that very purpose and that very reason. God loves to answer that prayer. And he pours out his abundance and his saving grace on those that we pray for and that we love. And so I'm gonna ask you to just extend your hand towards this cross, towards these people, as if we're laying our hands on them and saying, these are the people we wanna see saved. And Kate's gonna pray for us. Let's extend our hands. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this holy moment. This is a moment where you are speaking very deeply to our hearts. And we, first of all, ask for forgiveness for times, even, even now some of us may be experiencing hardness of heart before we listen to this message. And we have the opportunity to make it right with you. And I pray that we would become more and more a people who are broken by the things that break your heart, that our hearts would break for those same things, that our priorities would be kingdom focused in Jesus name. And Lord, you know each and every person represented on this cross and Jesus, this is why you came to the earth. And God, you know each and every person, you know their story, you know where they're at right now, you know the struggles they have in their life, and you know how to draw them to yourself. And we pray by your spirit, because really your spirit is the one who draws people to you. So by your spirit, would you continue to draw each and every person on this list to you in Jesus' name? Yes. Lord, use us because we have relationship with these people. That's why we wrote these names down because they're people we know and have relationship with. And Lord, I also want to ask for forgiveness for any time collectively. We have been like the older brother, like the Pharisees, like Jonah. Forgive us, Lord. Give us a new heart. Remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh in Jesus' name. And Lord, I also know that on this cross, there's many prodigals. And we call, call the prodigals home in Jesus' name. And I believe that you are calling us to be a church that welcomes prodigals back home. And so we, we take that on and we say, yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. That is so much greater than our sin. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, that you are a God of full of compassion and mercy, abounding in love and graciousness. And may we emulate you to this world. May we be people of compassion and graciousness, slow to get angry, and abounding in love and mercy. Thank you. For your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I want to encourage you to just kind of burn this into your memory this week. And if there's something that the Holy Spirit reveals to you to do or to say, to do it. And if there's something that you maybe realize, 
there's, there's a, something I could be doing to better help the kingdom of Jesus Christ move forward. I just want to encourage you to think about that. Pray about that. Process that. And let the Holy Spirit lead you to a place of better understanding about what each and every one of us could do in the kingdom. Because I, I do believe that every single one of us has a part to help the gospel of Jesus Christ move forward. Amen. Well, our prayer partners are going to be up here in a minute. If you have something you want to pray about this morning and you don't want to leave, I want to encourage you to come up and pray with them. If you want to pray for someone that you know is lost and you just want to pray with someone, this would be a great time to do that. Um, But if you'd like to go, um, just take your time. If you want to sit for a minute, that's fine. I know that this is a different way that we ended this morning. And so if you just want to sit, that's fine too. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I.